Because I love my parents, there is no sense of obligation when I do something for them. I love them, therefore, I almost automatically do things for them. All good things are done as an extension of love. Offering information for your mind. Enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. I'm Kathy Britton, and I want you guys to introduce yourself and say your favorite fruit. My name is Brittany, and my favorite fruit is raspberries. My name is Emily, and I love lychee. Yummy. <laughs> my name is Michael, and I love a good tangerine. And my favorite food is mango. Uh, Brittany, would you read the text for us and uh, have a word of prayer to begin? Sure. Our text is James 1.22, and it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Let's have prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come together and study the lesson for this week. Please uh, bless the conversation that we have and help us to be able to extract everything that we possibly can out of this uh, conversation and to be able to focus and learn more about you. Thank you so much and we pray. Amen. 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 So the lesson starts, um, it's titled Being and Doing, and it starts off talking about Jean-Francois Gravelet um, tie roping across the Niagara Falls. And uh, the story talks about him going across and the Prince of Wales uh, seeing him do it with someone on his back. And then he approaches the prince and says, hey, it's your turn to get on my back. Let's tightrope across together. And he was like, no. So it wasn't enough for him to see and hear what he was doing. Um, he just wasn't able to do it himself. Uh, we are encouraged in the Bibles to be doers of the word. What, what does that mean to you guys? I really think when it focuses on um, saying that we have to be doers of the word, it's more of a lifestyle change. Uh, and it's not just looking at the Ten Commandments and saying, okay, number one, I've covered this one, number two, I've covered this one. But it really needs to be a, a total change of how you live your life. Um, and it should be, you know, when you accept the grace of God and choose to follow Him, it changes your, your entire life. So it should be automatic for you and not something that's a struggle for you to have to uh, keep up with. Yeah. And I like that you said lifestyle change because um, when, I, when I hear uh, be doers in the title being versus doing, um, I think you have to embody what that message of Christ is. Exactly, yeah. And that transformation has to be more than a checklist. If it's just the checklist, then we, we come into things like legalism and, and, mm -hmm. and we start looking for that checklist in others. But if you embody the message of Christ, you're going to become that. You're going to be that, not just do it. Yeah. And how do we, like, how does that come about? How do we go from just not simply going every day and doing something to actually believing it and, you know, acting upon it? Well, I think that the first step is knowing like that you want to do it. Like they've been saying, like you're wanting to do these things. You're not just like doing it to be a good person. You're doing it because you want to make someone else happy and you want to be there for others. And I think that we get to being that kind of person only really through knowing God and like asking him, what should I be doing right now? Like, what do you want me to be? And that's how you can grow and how you can like do anything really. And familiarity. You have to become familiar with your lifestyle change. You have to become familiar with those practices. 
and it becomes second nature for you. Um, you. You don't learn how to wake up. That's an innate thing that takes place. Our relationship with Christ should be so familiar that it becomes a part of what we do. It becomes a part of how we live. That's the essence of our being. Mm -hmm. So how would you guys say what's the difference between the doers, the people that actually do, and the people that live on righteousness by works? I think it's really, it comes back to the difference of um, it's an ongoing, you know, when you're living um, not just by works, but it's an, it's an ongoing lifestyle of um, of obedience, and it's really changed you from the heart. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, whatever your heart is full of, that's what's going to overflow out through your actions and through your words. And, and so really by, um, by changing it at your, your heart, um, then that really makes the biggest difference of separating it from just righteousness by works to a lifestyle of um, having been changed by God. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there. What if I am doing the works and I go out there because it's kind of second nature, like you said, um, and it's not something that I feel, it's not something that I do? Well, then I think that's righteousness by works. So you're doing these things because it's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think it brings it back to a point of consciousness to know what is your intent. And that intent is the drive that gives you, I think, the distinction between doing in order to live this lifestyle because it's second nature to you versus a checklist of works that you must complete. Mm -hmm. What's the intent when you go out? What's the intent when you interact with others? If, if your belief is that by doing these things as a work, you're going to somehow build a deeper relationship with Christ and therefore work your way into heaven, then your intent is probably based in the wrong atmosphere. Area in the wrong but, um, but if your intents are to, to please your creator, to please the one who, who died for you, to return that gift back to him through your lifestyle, then I think your actions of doing take on a different shape. I think it's based in the intent. Yeah. Um, would you mind reading James 1, 25 for us? Yes. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Okay, so what does that say about the law? Well, first and foremost, it says right there that it's perfect, the perfect law. I think that that's kind of an important word to know that, like, you're going to want to do something. If you hear something's perfect, you're going to be like, ooh, I want to know what that is. How can I like, know how to do something perfectly? And it's right here. The law is perfect. Like, and it's saying those uh, will be blessed to not only hear but do the work. So like, why wouldn't you want to do something that's perfect? You know? I when, know. I, when I hear the hearing and doing, I think of the concept of active listening. Uh, you're, you're paying attention to what you're hearing and not just regurgitating it as if, you know, okay, I heard what this said, I understand what this means, but, but when you're actively listening, you're asking questions about what you're, what you're taking in. You're, mm -hmm. you're connecting the concept or the idea or the thought of what the person is communicating with you. So, so when you think about the role of the law, I guess the question is, how do you make sure that you're actively participating in the, in the, the message, the, the intent of the law? It needs continuous attention. It can't just be this thing that you do. It so has, a relationship. There has of. to be a relationship mm -hmm. to the law. Mm -hmm. It can't just be this mundane thing that you try to carry out. Yeah. And I think it's also, it's, it's really easy to look at it and to say, okay, I've, I've got these 10 things in front of me and I can meet every one of them and then that's it. 
Um, whereas I think the law is really developed as an ideal. It's just kind of an example of these are the things that you should be doing or that will automatically come to you once you've accepted Christ into your life. And so it kind of gives us an outline, but it doesn't automatically save us just by doing these things. It doesn't mean that's it. This is the end. Now I can be done. And as long as I keep following these things and I don't have to worry about anything else. Do you think that it's possible for us to follow the law and then... Um have our hearts in it? Because, you know, you said uh, if it's not only about following the law, but what if, you know, you were just used to always following the law and then, be, you know, and then go into a relationship with Christ? Do you think that that's the way that works or? I think it's definitely possible, depending on your point of origin to your Christian walk. Uh, there are some people who, you know, think about a five-year-old who gets converted to Christianity through their parents. They're doing what they have to do because of what the parents are doing. So they may not have um, developed that relationship to the law, to the walk, to their Christian walk. And I think even for people who have been Christians all their life, I think everyone has that aha moment when they recognize that their walk with Christ has become real. And I think that's, a, that's one of the beautiful things that Christ makes sure he impresses upon each person, that moment when they realize that their relationship took shape. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely possible that you, 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 you turn from just being into doing. I think there's that moment that happens. I think it's different for everyone. I think that can also be really challenging, though, because we look at um, these Ten Commandments or any of the other laws that we've been given, and we're sinful by nature. Mm -hmm. So it's not natural at all for us to follow all these things. So if we are to, um, you know, to look at something like that and try and compare ourselves to it, we're going to fall short of it every single time. And so I think, you know, it really has to start from being changed on the inside first. And that's the only way that we can really meet all of those things. Mm -hmm. And also by looking at, um, by looking at the law, that's kind of God's way of showing us. Um, but what law are we talking about here? I'm just, we're talking about like the Ten Commandments, right? I think it's both the Ten Commandments and also, you know, he gives us other laws such as love your enemies um, yeah. as yourself. And, you know, well, I guess you can't really love your enemies wholeheartedly, but you could follow the Ten Commandments and be nice to your neighbors, wouldn't that still be considered following the law and not necessarily having a relationship with God or, you know, truly believing that? I think you, I think you can love your enemies wholeheartedly. Uh, there's sometimes you don't even know who your enemies are. And, um, and that's the beauty of the ability to love wholeheartedly. It's when you are and I, I think this is a, a, a point that everyone hopes or aspires to get to. I know that I'm not there yet, <laughs> but I know that I would love to, to, to work towards that end. Uh, there is a beauty that comes with the peace that God grants, the beauty of the relationship that God can instill upon you, within you. And um, you may not have loved what they've done, but if you can still pray for someone's well-being and you can still pray that they still find Christ in the end, I think you're enacting a love that's beyond our human comprehension. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and I think that, that is, um, that's one of the things that, that you gain from this relationship that you build. And so, you know, to be able to determine which law you're trying to follow, it, it's, it's hard to, I think, put into words because this law becomes your lifestyle it becomes what you aspire to do daily through this relationship. It just comes naturally. Um, 
Would one of you guys read James 1, 27? Oh yeah, I can read it. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Okay, unspotted for the world. That's what I wanted to focus on. What does that mean, unspotted? I thought of it as uncontaminated, mm -hmm. um, not affected by those around you. How could we, how could we remain unspotted in this world full of so many spots? <laughs> I've known a lot of people who um, have taken this kind of quite literally and, and so they kind of run from anything that would pose any kind of temptation to them in the sense of escaping from, from wherever they're living to go to a place that's much more remote. Um, and I think that definitely can take all the temptations out, but temptation's going to follow you wherever you are. Um, and I also think that this isn't really saying totally remove your, yourself from everything because it also talks about you know, serving the widows and the orphans, and, and I think that goes much beyond just the ones that are listed there, but we need to be in the, word, in the world working for those around us and for those that are needy, but also need to protect ourselves and really you know, put up a guard against temptations and make sure that we're not being corrupted by the bad things that are around us. Mm -hmm. Kind of like that phrase, being in the world but not of the world. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so unspotted to me, the way I tried to interpret it when I was reading through this is unfazed, unfazed by the world. So I can be in this world of sin, I can even have my slips, my ups and downs through my walk with Christ, but through this relationship, through enacting and embodying the, the concept of the law, I can become unfazed by it. I can know who my Redeemer is, I can have a plan, an action plan through grace to come back to the cross, to come back to my focal point who is Christ, and I can focus on the things that matter. And so if, if you're living this life where you are spotted by the world or you are faced by the world, how do you get out of that? And how, how do you make sure that your walk isn't tainted by that? I think it's through this relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, it's tricky because I don't, maybe this only happens to me, but when I'm with certain people, I talk a certain way. So sometimes when I'm in Colombia, I have like the strongest Colombian accent. But when I talk to my Cuban friends, like my Cuban accent comes out. Um, and even when I'm with my Caucasian friends versus, you know, my Hispanic friends, like I talk differently. And so in a way, I'm being tainted or, you know, contaminated by the way there's how do we how do we draw the line. How do we know, hey, I'm going to reach out to the people smoking and drinking, but I'm not going to smoke and drink. How, where, how do we do that for ourselves, draw that line so we don't cross it? There's a, there's a clever response, but I don't know if it actually covers it, but it's when you said, when you gave those examples. You can give the clever response. <laughs> well, no, but it's kind of, when, when you gave that example, it brought me to the concept like assimilation, uh, like in a cultural context. Uh -huh or enculturation versus acculturation, right? So when you go into a culture, you can be so ethnocentric that you will never assimilate to the society that you've emerged yourself into. You can be um, from a Colombian background and move to America, but because you choose not to assimilate through your enculturation, you will always be Colombian. You yeah, could I be won't here learn 20, English, I won't I know several people like, that yeah. have been here 20, 30 years and they, it's still hard for them to, to communicate in English. That is a process of assimilation and acculturation. 
what was the relationship to their heritage that they thought was so important to hold on to so they don't lose themselves? Can you translate that to a biblical reference, to a Christian reference? What is the strength of your Christian walk? What is the strength of your Christian relationship? And if you don't find that you have that strength there, how do you build it? And, and I think that's what we're talking about yeah. here, building that, mm -hmm. that relationship where your sense of pride, not now in culture, but through your Christian walk, allows you to do this without being off-putting. Without, mm -hmm. without turning people away, how can you have that and hold it dearly that, that you don't change when you, when you meet others? Yeah, because to a certain context. extent, we still need to be able to... Relate. Relate. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. We need to be able for... If I'm talking to young adults, it's going to be different than if I'm talking to a five-year-old. So we do need to still... But we have to have that line. Um, and it's so hard to see sometimes. We... Mm -hmm don't always know where it's at or we get so caught up in following the right things to do that we lose it completely. Um, in your experience, which seems to be greater, uh, a greater danger, legalism or a lax attitude towards obedience? Mm. Well, that was uh, a fun one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a, is there an answer to that? I don't know. I think growing up, um, probably all of us have seen cases of both of these. Like you see those really strict parents and the really ones that are like, oh, whatever, do whatever you want this weekend, I don't really care. And I think you really need, I'm focusing more on like parenting here, but like as a parent, you need to really realize what your child's needs are. And because some people, some kids, if you're legalistic with them and like you're really strict, they're going to rebel instantly. But if you're like, really relax and they'll rebel too but you just need to know what kind of kid you have and see like what they need because or just be really open with them and like I think you could probably there's always like a balance balance is extremely important with anything that we do and I think that if you have a balance between these two and you're really open and like you have a really good um, like relationship with anyone I think that you can balance it and mm -hmm. I think that the two extremes I think either way it could be dangerous yeah, I definitely think both of them pose a really serious threat to anybody's spiritual walk. Um, I know personally, from my own experiences, legalism tends to be a little more uh, upfront. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've seen people who are very legalistic who criticize uh, very bluntly about things that they believe are wrong. And I think that can be definitely be very detrimental to somebody's spiritual walk. And, and it really turns a lot of people off. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that having a very lax attitude can make you say, well, it doesn't really matter what you do. You know, go out as long as you love Jesus, then, then that's the end and we don't have to worry about anything else. And I don't think that's right either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, sometimes it makes me wonder if I had to choose between, if right now I got to choose my parents growing up, if I'd rather them be, have like a lax attitude or legalistic attitude, what would I choose? What would you choose? And then I'll give you my answer. That's a good question. Um, I think if we have the two, uh, the lesser of the two evils growing up, and this might be from the perspective of a child. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm thinking now as a child. I think I would choose the lax attitude if I understood what the, um, what the message of Christ was in his relationship. But because I couldn't be certain that I, un I would understand that fully as a child, 
I don't know that that would be the best choice. But if we played devil's advocate here and just said from a child's perspective, I would hope that if I understood the message of Christ, I would be led in my walk with him eventually to make yeah. these decisions that would lead me towards mm -hmm. the right path. However, I think the inverse of the legalistic point of view is immediately a turnoff. Because if you have this list of things you can't do, mm -hmm. and you know, let's just be honest, the society we live in isn't like many of the societies back in biblical times where you know there just wasn't other or as many things that we might perceive to be as distractions, you know, from your walk with Christ. What would that look like, and 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 would I rebel? I don't know. Well, like even a baby or like a toddler, you tell them don't do that and they go and do it. So it's like, I feel like in this legalism type world, I, people are gonna do whatever you tell them not to do. If from the very get-go you tell them, oh, you shouldn't wear like this, you shouldn't do this, people are gonna be like, well, now I want to. Now I wanna see what happens if I do that. So yeah, I, I don't think that that's- and, and this might be, this might be adding, you know, fuel <laughs> to fire, but you know, when I think about when, when, when Jesus was here, I, I don't, I would not characterize him as legalistic. I would not have characterized him in that way. Mm. I think there was a respect for the law and I think that there was um, a certain and particular way that he expressed that law to the people he came in contact with. Mm -hmm. And you know, the different parables and scenarios that we see in the Bible, condemnation wasn't the first thing that came out of, of Jesus' mouth. Now, does that mean he had a laxed approach to the law and was like, hmm, be obedient, you know, go and sin no more. I mean, not really. No, it wasn't like that either. There was this beauty to the balance that he, he presented. And it, it always came with this clause. It's like, if you love me, keep mm -hmm. my commandments. He's not asking you to do anything other than that. So if you've made this decision, if you've made this choice, then do that. And that's kind of where that balance shows up. He's not holding you uh, at gunpoint you know, with this idea that you must do something this way. He's saying, you know, you know consider everything. So and he, if you love me. You know. I would even say um, that he had more of a lax attitude than legalistic. I think he had a good balance, but I think when you give someone a choice, uh, you're leaning more to the side of, you know, you choose what you want, but I'm gonna teach you um, how to respect the law. and how to eventually make your own decisions. And he was very clear about what the outcomes of those decisions would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was What about the people that say that they are because of Christ, they are free from the law? So now you have the extremes that say, "Nope, absolutely 100%, I do not I'm not going to follow the law because God loves me and no matter what I do, I'm going to be saved because I have that relationship with him." Well, once you make a relationship with God, you, you know you're saved, but you should want to do good things because you have this relationship. Like, I don't understand the concept of, oh yeah, God and I have this relationship, so now I can do whatever I want. Shouldn't it be, God and I have this awesome relationship, so now I wanna do more for him? Like What he wants. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, I don't understand the idea of now I can do whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just don't get it. It's almost like there's a misinterpretation of the concept of grace. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, it talks about, um, it says, for, grace we are for by grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works, lest only man should boast. And I think that's the point there. Grace has boundaries. 
-hmm. okay? And, and it's not a gift that you can, it's not, it's the gift that keeps on giving, but not without consequence. Does that make sense? So, you know, grace is there, grace abides, but you can't think that that grace is, is um, doled out by you. You don't determine when grace is, is placed. God has already set the boundaries through which grace is, is given to us. So um, I think it's, it's, it would be an interesting conversation to have with someone who had that concept. And um, I think this personal experience of where you are in your walk with Christ helps you kind of start to recognize what those boundaries are. Mm -hmm. I really think that, um, you know, salvation by grace is, um, that's what we need to be saved. But the proof of that is following the, the commandments that he's given us. The proof that you've been changed is that, you know, down in your heart, it's not just a surface-based thing that, that you've chosen to accept, but it really changes you from the inside out. And so the proof of that change is going to be that you're going to want to do the things that he wants you to do and the things that he's asked of you. And so it overflows from you. And it's, and it's not something that's binding and, and restricting and you have to do all these things, but it's something that you want to do out of the love that's you know, been restored through you. Uh, don't you guys think, though, that, let's be honest, you got, we're all sinners and there are certain sins that we have that we do over and over and over again. And at the end of the day, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm the only one, but there's a thought that crosses in the back of my head saying, well, God's going to forgive me at the end of the day if I ask him. Tell me you guys haven't thought that before, you know? So where, where does God's grace end in this, in, you know, in this scenario? I think if we knew specifically where God's grace ended, then we would have come to explain who Christ is completely. So his grace yeah. never ends. So I could keep sinning and asking for forgiveness at the end of I, the day I think that and would, not follow the law. I think that would be an unclear approach to how grace is enacted. But that comes from an individual that is not perfect. Okay, And so I think that we should... I think that we should be lenient in our understanding of how grace is, is received, but not lenient in our understanding of how or what consequences come with that grace. And just because you have been given grace doesn't mean the consequences don't still abide, you see? So th it's not a simple answer or a simple conversation that you can have. And it's true, I think we all have had that thing that we do always. and so. You know, one of the things that I try to think of myself, because I'm one of those people that have done those things over, over and over, and over yeah. I try to ask God, remove that desire from me mm -hmm. because I can't do it myself. I keep doing it. And I think grace starts at that point where God recognizes the desire of your heart and wants to try to uh, find out how he slips in there and makes it work. Well, thank you guys for being here. And if you would like to contact us, please visit our website at www.sabbathschoolu.org. That's www.sabbathschool.org. Remember, the goal of the Bible study is information and transformation. It's for the head and the heart. For Sabbath School U, I'm Kathy Britton.